Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Inform Performance Podcast. On today's show, I am joined by three guests, all here to talk about some emerging technology from Sportscientia that harnesses the power of AI and machine learning to seamlessly capture gait analysis in real-world conditions and provide 3D depictions of the foot during both swing and stance phases of the gait cycle. This can then enable people to further break down the analysis of running into multi-directional movements, including lateral backwards turning actions and more. To discuss what exactly this technology is and how it could be pivotal in applied sports settings, I'm joined by former guest of Informed Performance, Andrew Gray, Phil Graham-Smith, the head of biomechanics at Aspire Academy, and Daryl Carter, a first-team physiotherapist at Leeds United Football Club. There's a lot to unpack in this episode and some exciting insights from this great collective. This episode of the Informed Performance podcast has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of the Force Frame. Used by health and performance professionals for assessing and improving performance and rehabilitation, the Force Frame is a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. In addition to testing athletes, the Force Frame is also used to maintain and improve strength offering over 130 isometric training protocols. As a portable and easy-to-use system, the force frame is designed to ensure every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured, time after time again. To learn more about the force frame, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. Inform Performance is proudly partners with Humac Norm by CSMI. If you or your organisation has a Biodex or Cybex, then is your old software or computer slowing you down? If yes, then check out the Humac software or computer upgrade for Biodex systems 2, 3 and 4 and also the Humac norm. Since 1982, over 3,000 Cybex and Biodex owners have rejuvenated the isokinetic machine they already own with the Humac system by CSMI. To learn more about the Humac upgrade, then head to humacnorm.com and select products and upgrades. And without further ado, here is today's episode. So on today's episode, I've got uh, three of you, um, and all three of you are in some way related to Sports Scientia, a company that uh, I think will be kind of moving the needle on athlete testing. So to kind of kick us off and to create some context to begin with, um, what I'm going to get you to all do is just introduce who you are um, for the audience, and then kind of how you got involved in the company. If we start with you, Andrew. Thanks, Andy. Uh, yes, yeah, so Andrew Gray, Chief Analytics Officer with Sports Scientia. Um, originally a physiotherapist, um, master's in exercise science, worked as a strength and conditioner and a sports scientist, essentially in professional sport in Australia for the last 20 years, 25 years, but now working uh, full-time with Sports Scientia. Um, yeah, more involved on uh, trying to create something that uh, really makes a difference. Cool. And then uh, over to you, Phil. Yeah, um, biomechanist. For 30 odd years now. Um, former academic at John Moores University, big background in football there, and then Salford Uni prior to going over to Qatar to work in Aspire Academy for the last 10 years. Um, <clears throat> also known as a co founder of Force Dex, uh, which Vald uh, took over back in 2018 and uh, got involved with Sports Center a few years ago when. Uh, Vald actually put me on to to uh, to Danny, and we were looking at the product and saw some uh, segue into on-field testing there, which is something that's wet my appetite. 
Yeah, thanks, Andy. Daryl Carter, one of the physiotherapists at Leeds United. So my background is uh, undergrad in sports rehabilitation with an MSc in physiotherapy. Um, been at Leeds now for seven years, working way from the academy to 23s up into the, to the first team where I am now. Um, part of my role is in the testing and the monitoring of the injured players as they go through the rehab phases and then looking at the products and innovation that we can maybe use to utilise that. And this is where I got involved with Sports Scientia when they reached out about the product and taking it on trial and seeing what we think and ultimately deciding to go forward with it and working it with them, with our players. Andrew, we obviously had you on uh, on the show way back on episode 49, I think it was, when uh, you were working in the NRL at the time. And we focused a lot of that conversation on GPS. Would you be able to walk us through your journey from, not, I'm sure you still are doing GPS, but can you walk us through your journey from GPS to um, what you're doing now with the company? Yeah, sure, Andy. So, um, so I guess, you know, as a uh, as a high performance manager and my other roles, you know, with NRL teams, um, I was always sort of pretty fascinated by tech and uh, found myself always thinking that there was more and there could be better ways that we could use tech. So, you know, I guess I also accidentally became a, um, a software developer, <laughs> almost born from my curiosity with tech and, you know, trying to find better ways to explain the way that athletes were moving. So that started with with GPS uh, in the early 2000s. I developed a GPS program for myself, uh, essentially. But you know the pro sports world is actually pretty small when it, when it comes to it. And I guess word got around, and I started to be contacted by other teams around the world in, in multiple codes, saying, "Hey, uh, we've heard what you're doing. Can we have a look too?" So you know that became, uh, I guess, my first software program. Second software program was really using um, IMU data in the elite military environment to create an AI activity classifier for elite soldiers. Um, and I think on the first podcast when we when we first met, going back a few years now, uh, uh, that was actually listened to by one of the staff members of Sports Scientia. So thanks for that. Uh, they reached out to me afterwards and said, you want to hear more about our tech? Uh, we, we think we might need somebody with your mixed skill set, being a practitioner, but also understanding tech and understanding um, software development. And that was the beginning for me. Uh, I was immediately hooked on what was possible with Sports Scientia once again, um, and really just about the fact that it's unobtrusive tech, which I think is important, that as we move forward, we should be asking athletes to do less and we should be asking practitioners to do less to derive the insights that was the first thing and the second thing was you know i had been trying to understand i guess or measure the foot to ground interaction from a thoracic mounted imu for a lot of years you know hope crossing my fingers and hoping and knew there were issues with force attenuation throughout the lower limb and the trunk and all those sorts of things and differences with uh, different height individuals, different running styles, all those sorts of things. So being able to actually measure the foot-to-ground interaction from underneath the foot really was the second thing because what I've wanted to do for a long time was to measure gait and move gait analysis from the lab to the field of play. And that's really what, what got me hooked. In, in, I guess, real basic form, how would you describe what the product is in a nutshell and then 
what are the kind of product capabilities uh, for a practitioner out there? So it's a it's a technology layer that we call the tech layer that slips underneath an existing inner sole of any footwear. Um, so essentially, uh, the athlete doesn't really know they're wearing it. It's underneath the inner sole of their existing shoe. Uh, it has two main groups of sensors. We have force sensing resistance, which are our custom force sensors, nine of them, six in the forefoot, three in the rear foot, that are located in, in key loading areas. Um, that's our first group of sensors. And they basically measure pressure and then are calibrated against force. Second group of sensors is our IMUs. So our accelerometers, gyroscopes, magnetometers, located in the in the center of the arch of the foot um, and then you know what we kind of what we basically do I guess is we optimize the raw data with advanced signal processing methods to remove some of the noise then next you know we we go through a sensor fusion process which eventually which you know essentially just means that we we tie the two data sources together and we end up with less uncertainty than we would have if we just relied on the individual data sources alone. So we use them together to uh, make the most of their strengths and to cover some of their weaknesses. Then we provide, you know, apply our smart algorithms to model the 3D movement of the foot throughout the entire gait cycle, through the stance phase, through the swing phase. Um, you know, we know where that foot is. We know how fast it's moving. If we know how fast each foot is moving and where it is moving, then by intelligently averaging both feet throughout human movement, we can then derive a uh, un an understanding of the center of pressure, which if you like is an imaginary point between both feet, which is a ground-based representation of the center of mass. That's essentially what we do, um, and we have some advantages over other technology with that process. Cool. And I'm, it might be a bit of a basic question, mate, but can you use this on a court as well as in a field? Yeah, of course. Because we're not relying on GPS, uh, we have no GPS sensors in, in the device, we can be used anywhere indoor, outdoor, um, any footwear. So it gives us that that freedom. Um, and, you know, it's essentially what we're able to do by understanding when the foot is on the ground, um, we have a, a, an accurate initial contact and toe-off point. Then between those two points, we can understand what's occurring during the stance phase. Then obviously between the toe-off and initial contact, we can understand what's happening during the swing phase. Um and, you know, we have intelligent ways of dealing with the fact that um, measuring displacement from IMU data has noise and has error and, you know, has a random walk that drifts towards nonsense. So we basically zero our, all of our algorithms during a stationary point in every stance phase, which, you know, if somebody's moving at a, at a decent clip, then you know they're taking in excess of three steps per second. So we're zeroing those algorithms three times a second, which gives us uh, really good accuracy. Um, you know we can measure the load of the stance phase. Um, we can measure all the temporal and spatial elements of our gait analysis. 
uh, most exciting to me was the fact that we were able to model the swing phase um, because I think there's a lot of useful applications there for practitioners, um, you know, especially with things like hamstring injury and uh, ACL rehabilitation or ACL risk. And then we're also re- accurate we're accurate with our velocity. Uh, you know, in, in internal testing that we've done thus far, we're actually more accurate than GPS technology, but also able to determine when the wearer is moving forwards, backwards, laterally to the right or laterally to the left. So we're able to understand the frame of reference of the athlete in front of them, behind them, to their sides, which uh, I guess at this point, you know, GPS technology is not really able to do. We don't know to this point how far or fast somebody moves on a football pitch or a court to the left, to the right, or backwards. We just pull all of that as distance. Um, so given our, our unusual approach or novel approach to measuring this, we're actually able to expand the metrics available to practitioners, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I think it's really exciting the swing phase part, especially as you know we typically kind of test hamstrings closed chain or in some way kind of closed chain, load them very often closed chain or with a distal load and then um, a lot of the injuries that occur to the hamstrings happen with the foot in free air. Um, so it's definitely a bit of a disconnect that I think hopefully this will kind of um, give us some useful insights on. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we've always known, I say we've always known for a long time, you know, the medical profession has known or hypothesized where these injuries occur. And, you know, let's face it, it's often late swing phase from the, uh, you know, eccentric to isometric or turnaround point, so to speak. And we've known that, but we haven't been able to measure it. We haven't had data on it in the field. We haven't been able to understand how it changes with fatigue or those sorts of things, but we have been able to measure strength. So, you know, we've naturally attached more weight to that. Um, What we're hoping to do here is to really open the door for everybody to understand more about the swing phase. Uh, And that's where I think the real uh, diamonds are going to exist with this tech. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Phil, you've, of course, got an incredibly extensive background with force plates and profiling, um, and a lot of the listeners and teams uh, of, of the listeners will have them and will be using them at the moment, um, whether that's for jumps or for isometrics. Um, I think generally the kind of jumps and hops can be used as a bit of a surrogate insight um, for what might be happening, say, running. But forgive this terrible analogy, but I think sometimes there's this sort of situation of a, a zoo tiger versus a, a jungle tiger. Um, and maybe there's a little bit of assumptions there. Can you maybe talk through how this type of tech can be can be used, I guess, in the first first instance from your perspective, um, and particularly where kinetics are involved? Yeah, I mean, k- kinetics in elite sport now is, is really taking a boom over the last 10 years or so. Um, and it probably goes back to the origins of uh, force techs, to be honest with you, where, where we would see force plates in store cupboards in different institutes or football clubs around the country and lack of communication between professionals, physios, S&Cs, physiologists, whoever in a football club were doing jump testing and uh, on contact mats and what have you. But, you know, the force plates really did sort of come to life when software was developed to analyse discrete tests like vertical jumps or you know, even hopping or whatever. But you're absolutely right in that the, the zoo tiger is different to the, the jungle tiger. And um, I still think there is a, a massive place for, for both, you know, portable force plates for doing discrete testing 
But the, the interesting thing is then when you get to that late stage of rehab and you're making that decision of when to put someone back into that, that high-level performance again, to reduce the risk, you need something um, or to reduce the risk of making a poor judgment is to do something a little bit more advanced on the field of play. And and this has been a bone of contention of mine for many years. I mean, I've been very, very fortunate in, in the various places I've worked to have lots of force platforms embedded in the ground, motion capture systems, you name it. Um, but I'd say probably in the last 15 years, I've erred away from lab-based biomechanical testing in that regard and just to differentiate i'm not referring to musculoskeletal testing here i think that's a separate entity on it on its own but the lab-based movement analysis and kinetic analysis i think has got many um flaws when it comes to the actual high performance setting you know the the shoe surface interaction the, the friction forces are different wearing boots on turf than wearing shoes on Mondo in a, in a lab, for example. So the, the lab for me is a very sterile environment where I've been pursuing this, this dream of, of finding wearables that create, that, uh, um, create the information that you can hang your hat on, really, to give us the, the forces, the joint moments, or whatever those parameters might be, to that would relate to an, an, an increased risk of injury or uh, asymmetry or imbalance that would give you that that real nod to say yes this is players ready to go back to uh, to full full match training or match play and then that's where the the sports censure um, tech layer you know I think really fits one of these avenues that bridges that gap between the clinical testing, the musculoskeletal testing, to put it onto the pitch to give the physios and S&C coaches in particular that confidence to say, yes, you can perform a change in direction test um, you know, within 10% or whatever the threshold might be um, in the right environment uh, on your left and your right legs. And, and I think you're ready to go back into to that level of intensity of play. In the sort of absence of a very specific context, um, Phil, but um, in just sort of general terms, you know, I can imagine for one, maybe your more kind of lab-based or force plate testing might get used more, say, in a mid-stage rehab, and then perhaps you might lean more onto this uh, later into the rehab. How how early on do you think there's uh, there's value in bringing this kind of technology into like a rehab case? And uh, feel free to pick whichever context uh, fits. Well, to, to be honest with you, I mean, a, a lot of biomechanists around the world will probably shoot me for this, but I, I, I honestly think where we're at now is that lab-based technologies are the things that should be used to validate these wearables. I, I think biomechanics and technologies moved on to a point where we, we shouldn't be using necessarily the, the lab-based scenario as the um the 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 reference i I think we've got to be thinking if we've got the right technologies why are we even going into a lab why are we even you know going to to do clinical gait analysis when we can actually get a lot of the the metrics within you know on 
in on the training ground. So I, I would say that not, I don't think the days of Vicon and all these, you know, clinical gate labs will ever be, you know, gone. But I think that for practitioners like like Daryl, I, I think these sort of technologies are going to be the way forward. And Daryl, you've obviously been using them in a, a bit of a um, more applied way, I guess, so far than than a lot of people would have had access to. Can you kind of walk us through what you've used them for maybe so far with a couple of case studies? Yeah, so we've primarily been using it in rehab with our, with our injured players. And so like Andy said, it's a, with it not being GPS-based, we're able to use it indoors in the gym environment. So we can start as soon as the players have started off running if that's on the treadmill we can pull it in their trainers and you can start to collect the information around their gait their mechanics on the treadmill and as they progress to the grass outside if it's a straight line session still in trainers again you can collect that data all the way up until they're doing more functional ball work sessions where they have the the tech layer inside their football boots so it obviously enables us to compare the metrics at different speeds and you can see whether is it something that's causing an issue at the higher speeds or is it happening already just on the treadmill at lower speeds. So it can help guide when you feel maybe they're ready to progress or whether you need to hold them back a little bit. Um, so the first sort of cases we've used it with would be sort of players that have had like joint injuries post-surgery. Um, and you can see sort of your ground contact times for the affected side where they're wanting to get off that limb a bit quicker because they're not happy to accept the load through that side. And then it physically puts a number on that so you can actually track that through the sessions, through the different speeds. Um, and then once they've got outside, it breaks it down into accelerating, decelerating, or sort of constant speed running. And you can look at the loading of how much they load the affected side, unaffected side at each of these phases to give you an idea again of whether actually once they're at that constant speed, are they loading the size equally? And the issue is getting up to that side, so it's sort of that force production, or is the issue when they're decelerating and they're kind of offloading that side a little bit, and maybe it's that force absorption to slow down, which you maybe need to work on a little bit more in the gym. And then probably echoing what Andy was saying about the interesting side of looking at the swing phase mechanics, which might not have been the first idea when the product was designed, with it being sort of to measure force. Um, But we found it really interesting with, we had a player with like a a hip injury. Um, And when you looked at all of the the contact time going through the force, uh, through the tech layers, they were fairly equal, sort of affected side to non-affected side. It wasn't until we started to look at the swing phase where you could see the speed of the, the limb through the swing, you look at that, that was fairly symmetrical for both sides. The duration was fairly symmetrical. Um, but the software then allows you to plot the actual swing path um, of each leg and it gives you the mean or it gives you individual traces for each uh, each swing phase. And when you looked at the means, they were fairly symmetrical. But actually, when you took the means away and looked at the raw data, you could see that the not the unaffected side was a lot more constant in that swing phase. And the swing path was much more clustered together than when you looked at the 
affected side, there was much more variability in the way that that swing leg came through in terms of in the vertical plane, in the lateral plane. Um, so that kind of highlighted to us that there's for this player, there's definitely an issue here with their injury and then affecting the, the swing phase, which is when they would tell us that that's where their symptoms would come, when they're sort of driving through. And then sort of like as you then decide to work on that in the gym and sort of work on loading the anterior hip, loading the rectum, loading the tendon, working on mechanics, you could then see that they were starting to come more and more clustered together as they went through the rehab and as they sort of got to the to the higher speeds. And for us, I think that was something that we would not have actually ever looked at until you could start to measure that. And it, it might be something that's really hard to answer. It might be anecdotal, mate, but um, yeah. what do you think is kind of causing that erratic, if we call it that, kind of swing on the affected side? Yeah, I'm not sure whether partly is it related to pain. Um, is it, it, Was the athlete feeling pain each time he was coming through the swing and he was adjusting the movement away from the pain to make it more comfortable? Um, or was it partly due to maybe the inefficiency of sort of the, the rec fem tendon when it's sort of stretching and recoiling back as it comes through in, in the swing phase? Um, it's, hard, it's really hard to, to say which one it was because um, obviously through the rehab, we were working on both reducing the pain and improving the efficiency of that sort of rect fem and the hip flexor complex. And they've improved. But again, it's which one is the major factor in that is really difficult to to say. Not that you obviously want to watch injuries unfold uh, over a season, but it would be interesting if you use the product for monitoring, if you then do get injuries, to be able to see was that, you know, uh, you know bigger range and sort of erratic pattern of swing, um, something that was happening before the injury or was it, you know, cause and effect, was it afterwards? Is it, like you said, is it because they've, yeah. they've got the injury and they've got pain or pathology? Or is it something that, I don't know, maybe you can detect before. It'd be interesting kind of over time to see how that plays out. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that's part of, with it being early tech and we're like early adopters of using it, without having baselines for all of the players, it's really hard to know whether what you're seeing is a finding or whether that is just their, just their normal. Um, but if you think it links to the pathology that they've got and then through your protocol or your rehab, you then see it change, then at least you know that what you've had is is positive and it's being monitored via the technology to show that it's had a positive influence and they're improving. Yeah, for sure. And obviously uh, hamstring injuries are still uh, rife in sport and particularly in field sports. Have you had much exposure using this for hamstring injuries yet? Yeah, so low exposure, but it's something, again, that we've started to use more recently um, with a a hamstring injury out on the grass. Um, And again, it's that swing phase, which I found the the interesting side. So we had a player coming back, completing sort of near towards the end stage rehab session out on the grass, pretty much going full tilt. Um, And then when when you looked back at the the metrics you could see that the speeds were slightly lower in that swing phase in sort of the mid and in the terminal parts 
but we haven't got the baseline to say whether that's different to his normal, but compared to affected side and unaffected side, there was a difference in the, the speed, the velocity of the, the limb. And then when you looked at the stride length, you could see that on that's on the affected side, there was again a definite shorter stride length on that side. So we're questioning, were they fully comfortable in reaching sort of the end of the swing? and Or were they still holding something back? Were they still protecting that hamstring just a little bit from the from the full range um, and then the other interesting side was looking at sort of the vertical plane so you could see that they just weren't driving it through as high as they were running so whether they weren't wanting to come through into as much hip flexion before they then extended the knee so again were they looking to protect that hamstring a little bit more at that point um, if we'd had the baseline it'd be fascinating to see how different this was to them. Um, but it might be something that we actually look to do in a sort of say a few weeks or a couple of months' time now that the player is back fit to get a retrospective sort of normal for them and see how that is different to what they did in the, the end stage rehab session. I think it's amazing how how granular the detail can be on this actually for something that's field based. Um and actually being able to like get into like phases of sprinting and how that may or may not relate to the injury or where where an athlete's at. Um, Andrew, we we caught up a few weeks ago, and uh, I know you'll have some thoughts on this, uh, especially with your background of GPS and um, no doubt of your career, some some hamstring injuries. Um, where are we with hamstring injuries at the moment, from your perspective, and, and maybe where do you see this coming going with the product? Yeah, it's a great question, Andy, and. I mean, just to before I jump onto that, just to touch on a few things that Daryl said there. Um, uh, you know, being able to link, in my experience, you know, a lot of hamstring injuries are causative factor, or a, at least an important component of the uh, the lead up to many hamstring injuries is a joint injury, a joint or ligament injury. Um, you know, as well, there's you know, there's there's running mechanics elements, there's uh, speed exposure elements, there's fatigue elements, all those sorts of things. But you know, lower back injuries uh, and joint injuries, either on the same side or the other side, often seem to precede hamstring injuries in running based sports. Um, now, you know, where we're coming from is we're trying to make training testing. In that, so if you think about it this way, every step is measured. And at that point, during that step, we know the speed of the athlete, uh, the direction of movement. Were they running forwards, backwards, laterally? Were they turning? Were they running in a straight line? So on and so forth. So if you imagine that we can grab all of those steps during training or during match play and we can throw them into virtual buckets. And then if you like, we have a bucket that involves uh running in a straight line at this speed between this speed and that speed so then running in a straight line we have a bucket for every speed we also have acceleration buckets and different intensities of acceleration the deceleration buckets changing direction arc running turning forwards backwards sideways so on and so forth so in that regard just training can become testing because we're getting down to the step level then within each step, within the stance phase, you know, we're breaking that stance phase up into its components, you know, initial, mid, and terminal, 
then in each swing phase, we're breaking that swing phase up into each of its components, initial, mid, and terminal. So you can see like Daryl's saying, he's already starting to look at the differences between the mid and terminal swing phase of right versus left leg at a particular speed, which is fantastic. And it's exactly the way I envisaged curious curious practitioners like Daryl to be using this. Um, so that's fantastic. And you know, now hamstring injuries. Um, I, I touched on before the, the fact that you know we know where they occur, um, but we haven't been able to visualize that. What I think we need to be looking at now is exactly the, the relationship. Of, let's just say there was a lateral ankle sprain at some point. Um, and then four weeks after that lateral ankle sprain, we might, might that player may come back early from that ankle sprain and still have some movement deficiencies that we're unable to really pick up because we can't see how their stance and swing phase change under fatigue during long training sessions or throughout a match. Um, but then being able to understand the relationship between that stance phase and its effect on the swing phase leading into a hamstring injury occur that's where the gold dust will be for me. Daryl mentioned baselining. I think the way that this tech should be used, it's logical that initially it's it's a rehab tool. That makes sense because during rehab, we want to understand that an athlete has recovered to give us more confidence that they can return to their previous level. But as Daryl suggested, in order to do that, we need a baseline. So that next step is to use this tech to baseline everybody so that if they were injured, we have something to rely upon. Um, the next step is for this to basically be a monitoring tool that's used at all times. If we're using this at all times, then we're able to understand when something has changed. Now, you know, we're not looking at this point to say, uh, red flashing light, this player is about to strain a hamstring. I don't think that's that's possible at this point. Uh, I don't know whether that'll ever be possible, but what we are able to say with a certain degree of accuracy is that something has changed. That information goes into a pool of information with experienced practitioners with other data sources as well to say, okay, is that an important change? Is that something that we need to consider? What might we do to address that change? Um, and for me, that's injury prevention in the real world. Um, there is a lot of information from the tech layer, from Sports Scientia, and we're really making an effort to distill that down to the most useful observations and the most useful insights. Um, and that's our philosophy with um, unencumbrance. <laughs> you know, we want to unencumber the athlete. We also want to unencumber the practitioner. So we provide a report that essentially says, from this session, using this athlete, Based on the data we have on this athlete, these are the areas that have shown that something has changed. Um, and then with more data, we obviously will move towards the insights. Phil, I'm curious as to like uh, how you see it being used, maybe with as it relates to kind of like hamstring training or hamstring rehab. Um, I'm sure there's not a day of the week where you're not um, fielding questions on isometric testing or uh, jump-based testing on plates. But how do you kind of see this being used in this context? Yeah, I mean, I'm I, I just listening to Daryl and Andrew there. I mean, they, they hit the nail on the head, really. We've mentioned a few times looking at cause and effect, uh, and that's what biomechanics is about, really. But I think that the difference between 
I go back again to the, the, the critique of lab-based biomechanists, is that you're, you're taking a snapshot. What Daryl and Andrew would have had in his previous roles are the holistic overview of the athlete and on a day-to-day basis, you know, what niggles they're having, how much sleep they've had and all, all these other things, which um, all, all build up that picture of understanding, you know, some of the data, giving it context. Um, I, I think, you know, Andrew's probably covered the majority of what I would have said anyway, is that the, the, the level of detail that we can go into uh, with this, this tech lead in the shoe, which is as, as really important, is an, not an, an encumbrance to the athlete. It's, you know, they don't know they're wearing it. The amount of detail that you can get, particularly in, in the swing phase, later swing phase, um but particularly at that point where you, you contact the ground where injuries are, are going to happen. Um, picking up, you know, what are pretty basic elements of gait, be it step length, contact time, step frequency, limb speed. These are very basic descriptors of technique uh, or gait compared to that that you would get in a gait lab, which goes to the, the detail of joint power, joint moments, which is probably excessive what 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 the tech is giving us is is very basic elements of 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 gait description that are sufficient to tell the story and to to identify where differences may occur which then helps the practitioner have a conversations with other practitioners and the athlete to put plans together and fundamentally that's that's the strength of, of this technology now i think is is how it can really impact real-life, practical, um, day-to-day monitoring of athletes. Uh, I've probably not said too much there about the hamstring injuries, but, you know, for sure, athletics would, would, would see a benefit to this sort of technology as well. I mean, we, we use OptiJump at the minute to get those very basic elements of, of gait, step length, step frequency, contact time. The the tech layer would give you all that uh, in acceleration, uh, max speed running and things like that. So I would see it being widely applicable, not just to team sports, uh, but to, to athletes and every, everyone, to be honest. This one's kind of open to the floor. You know, a lot of the conversation we've had today has been how this type of technology can be applied in particular to rehab and also um, with monitoring. How do any of you guys feel about this being used for maybe technique and performance? So um, what I mean by this is, say you have a, a kind of quite um, sterile athlete, like a track sprinter. Um, do you think this could be used as a way to monitor technique and make improvements to technique um, in terms of what the tech can do? Yeah, I th- yeah. So I, th- I think based off sort of with the, the first case study that we had with the with the hip injury, um, you could see that there was changes in technique were definitely picked up by the technology. Um, so if there is something that you've identified, you can then highlight that then from the tech, whether you've identified it through you sort of like watching the, the athlete first and foremost, then potentially from the, the tech layer able to put like the a number on that or identifying that deficiency from the data you get back and then once you've implemented your the changes that you're working on 
has that then changed the data you get back from the tech layer? And as we saw with our sort of the swing phase movements, it it was sensitive enough to pick up those changes to show that there was a, an improvement in mechanics and in performance. And just to, ju- to jump in there, I guess, to follow Andy with, with what Phil and Daryl just said, you know, uh, having been around before tech um, in sport, watch tech land, uh, watch it be utilised, uh, watch it suffocate everybody, uh, and then hopefully see us coming out the other side. You know, I think my approach to using tech has always been that, number one, it it helps to make the invisible visible. We can now see something that we previously couldn't see. But the, the, the value in that and the relevance of that is that that allows us to have objective communication, it allows us to have a better conversation with somebody. If we have a better conversation with somebody, that gives us a tool. Tech is just a tool to help change behavior, exactly as Phil said. We use the tech. We see something we couldn't previously see. We have a more targeted, efficient conversation with athlete, coach, other stakeholders, whomever. Therefore, we can more effectively change behavior of an individual or the group. And that's our role is to try to create the optimal training environment that optimizes performance and reduces the likelihood of injury to win. So that's where I've always kind of seen tech land. So in that regard, what Daryl was saying, if we're able to visualize the movement, try to implement a change to technique, see a change to the movement, then we can now see something we couldn't see. We can have a better conversation. We can change behavior. So I think in that regard, that's how the tech could help improve or modify technique. Yeah. I think I think it's important also when, when we're talking about technique is we need to, to know what we're looking at. Um, if you put it in an, an athletics context, we, we have a technical model that we, we try and that the coaches are working towards. So looking at positions or velocities, joint angles, whatever it might be, the, these are the critical determinants of what makes a skill uh, perfect or you know more efficient. Um, it, it goes back down, though, to the what are we looking at? What are those descriptors that we want to monitor, uh, which is it's the, the important thing rather than it just being this mass data gathering process where we can't see the wood for the trees. It's it's got to be focused on critical performance determinants, in in my opinion. It'd be interesting with time and as kind of as you know people like Daryl in the field are kind of collecting more and more data um, and usage of it if you know things like running drills as an example could be collected and then say during rehab or regardless you're noticing from a performance perspective that a person is running in a certain way and there's a deviation or a deficiency somewhere. It'd be interesting if then people can rely on data that they have from a specific drill. That's something, that's a quality that this drill has that would iron out the deficiency that we see uh, in the athlete when they uh, apply their normal running pattern. It'd be interesting to see if it can start to kind of allow people to program more specifically for sprinting or for running uh, in particular. I think it has that potential. Um you know, Andrew will know more about this with the, the machine learning and the AI 
side of things. But if you've got that volume of data that can can say that this particular drill has helped, you know, X number of athletes to overcome sort of some asymmetry or some deficiency, then I think that's that's another avenue that will come further down the line. Yeah, I think it is. Like I say, it's having the the data collected to be able to make those sort of inferences um, on the drills to look, to improve those mechanics. And at the minute, that's where that's where we're at is collecting the data to really sort of get an understanding of what it, of what it's telling us. I'm uh, I'm really aware of time zones, and you know, there's a bunch of us on the call, and we're all in different places. Um, so we'll, we'll close this down soon, but. Um, Andrew, we've had a, lo- a number of contexts for this conversation so far. Is there anything we're missing? Uh, I guess not missing, but I guess the next step is, you know, we've talked a fair bit about gait analysis uh, involving the stance and the swing phase, you know, and the step is really just an event, um, an event in the same way that a jump or a hop uh, or a kick is an event. And I guess if we think about the tech being able to model in 3d the movement of the foot at all times then you know we're not only able to recognize steps but also jumps and hops and kicks and so on and so forth which are processes that we're um, you know able to do at this point so i guess there's you know there's a lot of other applications um jumps you know sports like basketball uh, we're involved at the moment in the nba validation pathway which is uh which is fantastic i really think we've got some applications in that sport um and then kicks you know in in football beyond actually being able to be a gate analysis tool we're also able to understand what happens in the swing phase leading up to a certain kick you know i know in the fifa women's world cup at the moment uh, there's a smart ball that uh connects on have been involved in developing that actually measures the speed and rotation of the ball, uh, we're actually able to provide the information on the swing phase leading into the kick that led to the speed and rotation of the ball. So uh, there's a lot of other applications of, of this kind of technology beyond uh, what we've discussed today. Phil, Andrew's obviously mentioning how tech can be implemented in like the sporting equipment itself being the ball. How do you see this going for like footwear or um, while we're still at that end of the body? Um, yes. Um, I, I think what one big area of performance and risk is the, the, is the footwear. So, you know, using the, uh, a tech layer within the shoe will give us a bit more information about those potential hazards or, or, or risks that come with changing directions, decelerations, etc. So uh, a tech layer with the the force measurement and amu uh, capabilities are going to give you that level of detail to be you know for to help players or physios be more prescriptive or podiatrists even uh, be more prescriptive about what are the actual needs of the the, the outsole configuration for players being whatever sport that might be yeah i think it'd be really interesting because especially in the nba you always hear about um particular high profile players when they're injured uh, working or the team working with shoe brands to kind of uh, get the best footwear at the right moment in time during rehab. So, um, yeah, like you said, I think it'd be really interesting to see how this kind of provides data uh, for that process and, and feedback. 
to save you all kind of going through your um, your social handles, uh, I'll obviously put all your links uh, for where people can find you and follow you in the um, in the show notes. But um, thank you all very much for coming on today. It's uh, it's it's great to have one of these opportunities to uh, pick the brains of people in different backgrounds and uh, different sports. So um, I thank you all very much for coming on today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Andy, and uh, thanks all. If you're interested in this technology and sports scientia, then head to the episode description where you can find a link for their company and contact information. You've been listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Andy McDonald. Catch us next week for more performance and sports medicine insights.